Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. My name's Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back Jeremy Roll. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are a multiple times repeat guest. You had a lot of great wisdom on the last few episodes, so I'm delighted to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it, and I hope this is helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I know it's going to be very helpful because you have a lot of wisdom. So uh, before we do that, what's new and exciting in the world of Jeremy? What's what, what's going on? Well, honestly, we're recording this end of year. Um, I do books for my own, my own books for the, my companies. I'm focused on that. And frankly, counting on the days for the winter break that my kids have, so which makes me have a break. And I'm very much looking forward to that. That's pretty much what's on my mind right now. Yeah, that's great. We we are uh, entering holiday season, and I think we all uh, could use a break. So that's that's the purpose of the holiday: spend some time with family and um, kind of wrap up the business for the year and plan for next year. Yep. All right. So we are recording this kind of in the middle of December, and um, just curious, what are your thoughts on uh, the economy, real estate market? Where are we going? What's going on? It's a great question. So um, I think uh, from the economic perspective, um, from what I see right now, the Q4 projected GDP at the moment is still quite high. I think that that's probably a big product. Uh, it's been actually a lot of big product in the last quarter as well out of uh, some military production of items that have been shipped overseas. But I think that there's still probably three to six months left of stimulus money that had been saved by consumers. It's kind of draining out. Um, some consumers don't have any left and credit card spend is increasing pretty greatly, but some still do. And I think that's probably kind of bridging, you know, the what's going on at the moment as far as consumer spending. Um, it appears as though most people believe we're going to have a recession next year, me included. Um, I think that the recession is going to come about uh, as a result of the lagged effects of the federal uh, interest rate increases, Federal Reserve in combination with the stimulus wearing down as far as the actual you know savings that consumers had. Um, so I'm anticipating a recession for next year. Um, nobody really knows how bad it's going to be or what it's going to look like. I can tell you that continuing jobless claims have gone up, I think, for six months in a row now. So it's kind of slowly happening, very slowly. And um, I think we're going to see, um, even though we've seen a ton of headlines so far, I think those headlines are going to continue and get worse probably next year. And um, obviously watching the Fed very closely to see what they do with interest rates. Um, and from a real estate perspective, you know, I've seen, um, a good, depending on the asset class, but, you know, take multifamily just cause it's a lot of people tend to watch it. Um, uh, I I've seen and heard, you know, 15 to 20% of price adjustments so far. Um, but I tell you the one thing that I think not enough people are talking about that is the other possible shoe to drop on this is inflation during a time of a potential recession, which could lead to stagflation. And it could also lead to either flat revenues or declining revenues at properties alongside pretty substantial increase in expenses. And so the um, like, I'll give you an example. I know if you're familiar with Ken McElroy. He's yeah. pretty well known. Sure. Yeah, he's a very big YouTube channel, owns, a, I think, a couple billion of multifamily with his investors. 
And he, I just watched a, a recent video of his about 2023. And one thing he said is his own internal budgets for his property show 0% revenue increase assumption and 7%, 7 to 10% expense increase assumption for his properties. And if it's, if he's actually wrong on the revenue side and it's lower, then you've got even a negative, a further negative NOI or a reduction in NOI. And so I think that investors are facing two challenges. One is uh, cap rates that could continue to increase and multiples that are going down at the same time. I think you have the possibility and distinct possibility during a recession, this is very common, for rents to potentially either go flat or go down and vacancies to go up. And then in this particular environment, you have the unusual situation of expenses continue to go up at a very high clip. That will probably come down over time with inflation, but I don't think it's necessarily going to match up right away. So that's what I see for 2023 as a big risk, which is why I'm continuing to be mostly on the sidelines, just watching to see what happens with this reset. That's an interesting um, observation and a lot of great nuggets. Um, I think your commentary on, on the recession makes a lot of sense. Everyone sort of in general is in agreement that 2023 is a year of real recession without clarity to the severity or when it's really going to hit but that that's that's a consensus of uh, a lot of uh, smart folks which you just mentioned with ken mcelroy um point that we're going to see stagflation that's an interesting um news in essence um from the point of view that i haven't heard that the revenues will uh, stagnate um and go down I, i've heard the growth will slow but this is a, an extreme um, opinion that the rents may uh, flatline or even reverse while expenses may pick up. That is uh, pretty, I would say, significant um, observation, if, you, if, you, if, I, if I may say that. Yeah, well, it's something I've been warning people of all year. And it's, you know, at the beginning of this year in 2022, people could not visualize rents going down because they're going up at such a big clip. That if a recession were to happen, they could they just couldn't picture rents actually going down or flat. Now, as rents have started to come down and the growth has started to come down, right? The growth, I shouldn't say rents, but the growth is coming down. I think people are now seeing how that could be possible because that's a typical recession playbook. And so for myself, I just always go with the typical recession playbook that I have to assume will happen just from a probability perspective and just wait and see what happens. And if I was wrong and rents continue to go up, no big deal. I just then redeploy money into a new cycle, right? So it's not a big deal for me personally as an investor, but I'm not surprised that he said that because I think he's just taking a typical recessionary playbook and, you know, putting it into his budget. Yeah, it makes sense. <clears throat> kind of a high level, although this is not by any means a typical recession. We are dealing with a little bit unprecedented times. So the past models don't exactly pan out because this is a, um, this has never happened before. This yeah. change in the interest rates, this uh, amount of stimulus, there's so many things that has never been seen in the history. Yes. The one thing that I I kind of think about is that um, under normal recession, you have substantial unemployment, uh, which we haven't seen yet, even, even though the headline um, layoffs have taken place, or at least hiring freezes. Uh, but we haven't seen large unemployment numbers yet. We, we're very far away from substantial unemployment. The second element, we're dealing with elevated interest rate environment and people uh, are not able to buy, so they're forced to rent. The substitution effect has been substantial, where many renters have been, have may, many homeowners have been discouraged by the high interest rate environment and forced into the renting uh, environment. 
So seeing the rents um, turn negative would be a surprise to me. We have substantial housing shortage in the United States, which is still an old, which is still the fact. So I'm, I'm, I would be a little surprised. Although I'm again, I'm not questioning the theory. That is an extremely conservative position to take. However, how realistic it is in this environment to assume the rent's going to go down for the reason that there is no the new supply is limited. And the demand is still pretty healthy, and the substitution effect is creating more demand as long as the rates stay high. So, uh, yeah, I think what you're saying makes sense, and I think that so uh, the way I see it is that in a typical recession, there's a domino effect that happens. Um, there is people lose their jobs, and then they can't afford to rent the same unit. Now, either that means one of several things: they go back home, and they go back live home. They go and bunk up with somebody else, right? or they downsize or reduce into a lower type of quality uh, rental, right, lower cost. What's odd about this time, to your point, is the employment picture. And what's not clear is whether what's going to happen next year. And, and one fact that I don't often hear hardly ever, which is really fascinating, is I believe there are 4 million Americans, and I hope I have the number right, that are currently on disability due to long COVID. Okay, That's a big number. And if you're trying to figure out why the jobs, all these layoffs have happened, but yet we haven't seen unemployment rate tick up yet and all that because those people are out of the market and are causing, uh, some of the people that are out of market and are causing uh, reduction in the availability of labor. And then you pile that onto the fact that there obviously been some early retirements by uh, older people who were scared of COVID and don't want to go back because of COVID. And all of a sudden you have a bit of a different picture you're dealing with on the employment side, right? And so the real question to your point, Mike, is what is the employment picture going to look like next year? And will the typical domino effect happen where we do see such a big reduction in the uh, you know, increase in the employment rate that um, that will impact housing? Or will we not have that because of these other factors, which would make this very different and may help to support rent? So nobody knows yet, obviously. Yeah, and a great point. A lot of people chose to exit the labor force. Uh, call it COVID effect going to disability versus um, choosing to retire early. That has taken place over the last few years. And that has created substantial labor shortage. Immigration policy has been obviously, um, well, COVID has stopped, slowed down immigration substantially. So other than the folks that have come over the border illegally, uh, we haven't had... Um, legal immigration to the degree that we need to have. So that aside, we, we're going to have this problem for probably years to come. We're going to be short. And uh, U.S. should certainly open up its, uh, increase the, the green cards, increase the number of other legalized methodology methods to increase um, uh, immigration. But for now, we're going to be dealing with this problem. And that's a bad way. That, that's a really, really good point that you have um, mentioned. And I'm trying to also... Um, ascertain the possibilities of uh, what you mentioned is an extreme position. Again, Ken is a wise guy. He's a well-known. He's well-respected. Uh, but I would I would say it's an extreme position. No rent growth and a very substantial um, cost-based inflation. The cost-based uh, cost inflation, and I'm hearing this from folks who are in the industry for constructing, they, 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 they've, they've, they've indicated, at least they've heard quite a bit of, that the price construction price growth um, has slowed down, and in some in some key instances, the prices are reversing because the menace has weakened. So I would normally expect uh, also softening of the costs and um, the uh, so this inflation versus stagflation versus um, 
some kind of severe recession. It's all tag of war right now. Yeah, anyway. yeah, definitely not obvious. That is for sure. So where you're sitting on sidelines with dollars, right? And, and, and you're a very prudent investor. Is that the right strategy now to slow down new investments and just, just sit on sidelines and wait um, or continue? Obviously, there are some investment decisions based on the fact that we are late in 2022. It's still bonus depreciation year. People are, people are investing into deals uh, for other reasons. But if you are just taking a pure IRR, ROI type of position and you're trying to pick and choose where your dollar is going to go, is it just better to sit and wait for a few more months and see where we are at? Uh, you also mentioned a very important point that you're seeing discounts on um, many properties anywhere from you know 10 to 20%, maybe 15 to 20%. I've seen the same. It's kind of interesting. Definitely it's transpired in commercial real estate. Um, many deals are being retraded. Discounts are being asked for all the time. And uh, depending on the quality of asset, depending on the regional terms, discounts could be more or less what you mentioned. Uh, but on a forward basis, we're going to see even bigger discounts. Uh, the Fed has, has mentioned what it's mentioned. And it's, it's runway in the policy in the Fed, Fed's fund, fund rate increases. is probably going to push another, I don't know, 150 basis points. The, at that point, we're very close to eternal uh, speed. Well, let's, let's just call it that. The 10-year Treasury has shown stubbornness and said, wait a minute, we, we are not following. The yield curve, the inverted yield curve is widening. Uh, the 10-year Treasury is indicating we're not going to see that kind of rapid inflation on a forward basis. So it's back down in the mid uh, threes, maybe mid to high threes. So what what are you thinking? What What's the best course of action as a prudent investor? Sit, take action, wait for remarkable deals. What do you think? It's a great question, but there's so much to unpack there. Um, here's what I'll say to begin with. Um, I believe there's a thousand ways to invest, none of them are wrong, and everyone has to have the best personality for, for themselves. So I always tell people that I'm really ultra conservative, and I choose to sit on the sidelines when there's uncertainty because I look for predictability because I invest in more predictable, lower risk cash flow, and I live off that cash flow. And so um, I'd rather wait six to 12 months, see what happens during this period. And if I missed out on the six to 12 months, I'm behind on inflation. Uh, but that's my personality. And so I tell people that I am not going to end up with the highest returns long term as a result of this. There are some people who say, I don't care if I invest in a property today, the, the price goes down another 10, 15 percent. I'm getting my cash flow. I think it'll do really well during a downturn. And then, um, you know, I look for a 10 year fixed rate loan, just as an example. And in 10 years, there's going to be some mortgage pay down. There's going to be some appreciation, some inflation, and I'm going to be totally fine. I don't care if the property is going down. And frankly, I really think that person is going to do better than me long term. OK, like mathematically. But where it doesn't work for me personally is a personality fit. So that's my feedback on that, right? That's the likelihood. Um, what I will say is that, um, and this is really, I've been talking to a lot of people about this recently because I'm trying to get my arms around it. So the question as an investor like myself, who's trying to determine when the right time to go back in, one of the, the things I'm looking at, one of the metrics is I expect positive leverage as an investor. And where I have a hard, very hard time right now where the market is and where the cap rates are is that in leverage call is either flat negative or very slightly positive in the best case scenario, right? Commonly negative in the deals I'm seeing still. I should be commanding 100, 150 basis point spread in positive leverage when I invest as an equity investor. And I think that that's normal. And so the, we're not there at the moment. And so that begs the question, 
And, and I've been having a lot of discussions with, with sponsors about this. And they say, we cannot see prices going down another 10 or 20%. And I say, I cannot see myself investing in negative or flat leverage, which is it going to be, right? And maybe something else will give because that's not the only parameters, right? Other things can change in those parameters, but everything else being equal, will in, equity investors demand a, a spread on the leverage? And if they do, that implies prices have to continue to go down, especially if interest rates go up. But I know it's hard for people to picture going prices going down further because they say, who is going to sell at a 20, 30, 40% decrease from the top, right? Only people that have to, obviously. So it's an interesting debate at the moment. I want to get your take on it, Mike, because as an equity investor on my side of the table, um, I'm trying to figure out, are equity investors looking for that typical spread that you would normally want to get to justify the risk, right? And then there's the other question of, I'm doing a lot of laddering of treasuries, and I'm doing it in three or four month type increments, right, in terms of very short term treasuries. And I bought some this week, and I got 4.4 something percent, right? And if there isn't some type of premium in the year one cash flow that I'm getting from a multifamily deal because of either negative or flat leverage and a low cap rate, that does that make sense, right? Like, or And I know, actually, I could tell you, uh, personally, I've been having conversations with other investors who are doing the same, and they're actually starting to look at it that way. They are saying, I want a premium for the risk above treasuries, which makes perfect sense, it's logical, uh, on the return of my cash flow into a deal. And the cash flow isn't there yet. That implies that prices have to go down or something else has to change, interest rates, whatever it's going to be. So I'm really curious to get your take on this because I haven't spoken to enough equity investors to get a true sense as to whether people are thinking about it this way or not on the on the positive leverage side. By the way, that's a brilliant point. So just to clarify, when you're referring to the lever to, to the to the spread, you're referring between the cap rate and the interest rate. So it's a negative. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that spread has turned negative for, for the most deals where uh, folks wind up getting interest rates on the mortgage higher than the cap rate that they, they paid at the at the purchase. And that argument makes total sense um, if you, you were buying a performing stabilized asset. If you're buying a substantial value add, you oh, can yeah. live. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're right. We, we've been investing in deals with substantial value add where the average trend today is, say, $1,000, and upon completion of the value add in four years, we'll project the rent to be 1400 Heavily driven right. by major improvements in the in these units, right? Right. From that perspective, um, it doesn't even matter that you're buying at five cap now and you're borrowing at six and a half rate, right? From that perspective, that negative one and a half percent by the time you're done becomes substantial positive one. So that was my first comment um, that as long as it's a good value at deal and there's a strong ability to execute. So back to the the things that you mentioned, this is a really critical point. Folks who can't execute the value add, they're going to fail in the value add. The deals can go sour from the point of view they're buying with negative leverage. And if they can't get the cash flow where they need to go, the deal may actually lose money, not, not make money. So something really important to keep in mind. Um, the comments on your strategy with treasuries, I've heard that before from other really smart investors. They're taking essentially no risk um, Treasuries, treasuries are presumed to be risk-free. This is as, right. as low risk as it goes. Right. right? So buying treasuries, but the primary uh, theory behind buying treasuries is the fact that you expect the interest rates to fall. Right. So they're still climbing. They're still climbing in the short run. You may live with a little bit of that. But in yeah, the but you can ladder it, though. Like everybody I know, like, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm laddering for that reason. And I'm everybody I know is laddering. 
to be really cautious. Yeah, so, you, you have to ladder because you don't know what's going to happen, right? So yeah. you get some th- some three months, some six months, some some one year paper, and from that perspective, that's the right strategy. But the smart money, um, and I was at, at another conference, and one of the really sharp investors there, his comment was exactly that: I want to buy the bonds with a lot of safety, a lot of downside protection, and basically speculating that in two to three years the rates will come back down. So there, the yield of four percent will be substantially enhanced by the appreciation of the principal. So that's the that's the thesis behind that. It's it's a safe investment, an expectation of interest rates actually coming down. So I, I will absolutely um, applaud the strategy. It's a good strategy. It's a relatively safe strategy. So, and then the other point you say you you said that uh, investors in equity or the multifamily deals. Uh, speculating that they can get higher returns um, or higher risk adjusted returns versus the treasuries. And that that's yet to be seen. It's a weird time where yeah. you consider investing in the treasuries for years, that whole investment didn't look attractive enough. And now it's beginning to possibly look attractive, especially if you believe that the interest rates will cycle back down after, um, again, they'll peak probably at 2023 and then cycle back down in 24 and beyond. Yeah. So, but you you don't even have to have that approach necessarily. I know a lot of people do, but you can just buy short term treasuries and lock in the yield for three months and and you know cycle if you want to. Correct. So three six months again. Yeah. The, the counter the counter argument to that is what is the real inflation, right? So you you are oh, not really yeah. earning a positive return on uh, in, in 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 yeah. In, in real dollars, your rate of return is still theoretically negative because inflation is still reported way higher than what you're earning on the treasury. Yeah, yeah. But the problem for someone like me who does tend to focus on more predictable, uh, stabilized properties is that what you're suggesting is a value-added strategy still makes sense to try to counter the inflation and then you end up with a higher yield, then obviously you get that risk premium. Someone like me, there isn't much, there's no, not much of an alternative at the moment, right? Um, and a lot of us are landing on the treasuries as the best alternative, not keeping up with inflation at all. But what it is doing is potentially setting us up to invest at better timing, depending on how this unfolds, like we talked about, depending on whether or not NOIs go negative or not, depending on whether or not you know cap rates continue to go up. Like there's a lot of factors, obviously. So we'll have to see. Yeah, and, and I will absolutely acknowledge the fact that you're a conservative, more predictable investor, and that's a great place to be. And what we've done in our own deals and deal structuring, we've actually bifurcated common and preferred equity, giving the predictability of the preferred equity yield. So we've done a number of deals literally now that we just um, we're finishing up. We, we, we've we created preferred equity with distribution yield of 8% and a, and a PREF of 16 with a higher safety and a higher predictability. And then let the common equity take all the depreciation because we're in a still 100% bonus depreciation year. So we've done mm-hmm. this as financial engineering to serve the needs of different folks. Um, but it's kind of falls in, in, in your argument. How do you go get lower risk, more predictable return, preferred equity is effectively the place to be versus the common, right? If you can do that, then effectively you created um, sort of goals similar to yours, lower risk, more predictability. Yes. yes. Um, but uh, I, I have to say that uh, what I'm what I'm seeing right now is that number of value projects uh, from the past having run into some challenges with their value ex- execution, and this is where the risk zone is. 
So the risk happens if you execute well and you can actually get those units renovated and leased, you, you'll do well. But if you can't execute value at well as an operator, you can run into trouble where the bank's beginning to uh, squeeze uh, equity investors. In, in other words, the banks are beginning to uh, push on other covenants, not just the payment covenant, but DSCR and number of uh, other uh, financials that they want to see forcing investors to bring in more reserves and more equity capital to reduce the risk for banks. This is the one of the concerns that I have right now, that the projects that can't stabilize fast enough or run into some kind of delays or issues, they may have, they may be pressured into distress sales. And that's where you're going to see distress. Um, well, I normal think that the... operators just not going to discount 20%, but if it is a distress sale because they the banks are squeezing them then you're going to see those discounted transactions. That, that, that's that's how I feel the market is going to transact next year is bank pressure will, will force some folks to sell. I, I think you have to also layer in the rate caps that people, I mean, I, I know a real operator who uh, spent, I think it was like, uh, was it 100? I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but it's like just $15,000 times two for a rate cap that is now $4 million next year at the current structure. You know, and that's a large property. Okay, it's multifamily, but I've been hearing all stories about the rate caps and all this, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that too. Oh, it's a gigantic problem. I, I just came talking to two people with exactly this problem. The banks are requiring additional capital escrows to buy rate caps, and the capital now is substantially higher than what it was when they entered into those deals with bridge loans. It's a yep. major problem from the point of view that it requires a lot of uh, uh, basically capital to continue to preserve the interest rate from wherever it was at the entry point, and it's not clear what's going to happen. So this interest yeah. rate increase has been incredibly painful if someone didn't buy a long rate cap. Yeah. What I'm finding, though, and the people I'm talking to, most people bought either two-year, three-year, most commonly two-year. And, and, and now they're, they're running out. And it's, yes, yeah. <laughs> what you just mentioned is the problem we've seen on a couple of deals and it's it's not an easy problem to solve it's basically requires more liquidity and you have to execute better if you don't execute better that mm -hmm. rate cap is a wasted money right i mean you just bought yourself more insurance yeah but it, it's a money thrown out the window literally it's a requirement. Yeah. otherwise the bank's gonna call it technical default on you yeah so we'll see what happens with that too obviously that could change rates change that'll change so we'll have to see i i appreciate that i think we covered some really great points and um uh, there's going to be pay, a lot more pain. The, the Fed doesn't even, well, the Fed policy has long and variable legs, and it just takes a long time to figure out all these ramifications of all the, or, or, or everything the Fed has done so far, what exactly problems they're going to cause, and they're already causing a series of problems. And it's by design to fight inflation, but they will cause a lot of um, uh, asset deflation as, as a result of their policy. And uh, we just have to be more opportunistic next year and much more careful. And everything you said, being a conservative investor might keep you and other folks on sidelines until you see more predictability. Uh, for now, we don't know what's the terminal rate. So anyway, we're yeah. running out of time. Any final comments? Any other? Uh, how would folks get a hold of you uh, just if they wanted to, I don't know, <laughs> communicate, reach out? Yeah, absolutely. No, and thanks again for having me. And thanks to everyone who's listened to this here. I hope it was helpful for everybody. Easiest way to reach me is through my email, which is uh, jroll, J-R-O-L-L, -L, at Roll Investments, R-O-L-L -L Investments with an S, 
investments.com. So jroll at rollinvestments.com. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate your wisdom. Love having you on the podcast again. We covered some really phenomenal topics. We have to do probably another episode soon enough. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love our conversation. So thanks for having me again. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.